This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, and the first eight verses of chapter 12. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the sound, for to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the day is of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up to the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. So every six weeks I go to lunch at an assisted living home, and uh, there are a few things that restore perspective, like having lunch with my dear friend who lives in assisted living home, and some of his friends that like usually will find their way to our table. They're not necessarily expected or invited, but we're glad to have them. You know, there's just always someone else at the table and it's always a fun experience. Um, it's an experience that restores to me a certain amount of perspective because oftentimes I show up, like I show up most places, if I'm honest, I pull into the parking lot, I've got my headphones in, listening to some book on Audible or I'm just finishing a phone call and I, I put my headphones away and I get out and I'm walking quickly because I've got two minutes to be on time and I'm gonna be on time and so I'm walking in but I'm carrying a little bit of the stress in my shoulders of all the stuff I'm trying to hold together and fix and, and if I'm honest, trying to be the savior of. 
and I walk in with all of my energy and all of my urgency, and there's something about sitting down with friends that are living in a space like that one, that are dealing with the sort of issues they're dealing with, that cause me to take a deep breath and be reminded, reminded about things that are less important or more important, reminded about the ways that I, in all of my urgency and all of my youth and all of my vigor, have, have just forgotten some baseline realities about what it means to be alive. There's something about that aging process and dealing with it and sitting close to it that, that kind of restores to us the sense of what is life about and what is it that we're called to do in these moments. George Bernard Shaw, the playwright, said that youth is wasted on the young, meaning that it's often those that have all of this youth and vigor and energy are walking around so caught up in all of our stuff and our anxiety and the stress in our shoulders and what are we gonna do about the kids and I didn't sleep again last night and all the stuff that comes with youth, the test that's coming, the struggle that's coming. And he's saying, if only the youth had the perspective of what it feels like to be old and know that most of those days are behind you. That the expectation would be that if the young understood the gift that they were stewarding, they would receive it really differently. They would walk through their days differently. And the Kohelet in many ways is going to join his, fo his voice with George Bernard Shaw in this text. The Kohelet is our wisdom teacher whose feet we've been sitting at through the book of Ecclesiastes. And he has taken us on quite a journey. He is at the end of his life looking back over it and he's shown us all the things that he's done in exploring this world under the sun. He has been honest and unflinching. He has said some really uncomfortable things along the way. But if he's been anything, he's, he's been a truth teller about the experience of what it means to live in a broken world. And now here he is coming to the conclusion. Next week, we will get his final summary statement. And in many ways, this is the, the statement before the statement as he's wrapping everything up. And in essence, what he's going to charge us towards today is this, to be good at being young. He's gonna invite us to be good at being young, to not waste the opportunity entrusted to you in the stewardship of youth. And along the journey, we will realize that youth itself is a sliding scale. So if some of you, some of our friends that are older saints in the room just said, well, this sermon's not about me. I think what we will see is that youth is a sliding scale and he's saying whatever, whatever gift of youth you've been entrusted, there's a way to use it in a way, and there's a way to use it that's wise and proper. And we wanna be the sort of people that are good at being young. This is what this text is gonna call us to. And in calling us to it, he's gonna give us three simple things. That if you're going to be good at being young, you're not gonna waste the opportunity that you have in front of you with the days that are in front of you. There are three things that you are going to do. So with that being said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plunge in. We ready for this? We're gonna make the most of the days that God has given us, and I believe this text is gonna help us do it. The first thing that you must do if you're gonna be good at stewarding youth, good at being young, is that you have to risk. You have to actually be willing to risk. That there's, there's actually this invitation in learning how to live well in the world not to always play it safe. And he comes out swinging in chapter 11 with some of these phrases. He says in chapter 11, verse one, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster will happen on the earth. This, this bread upon the waters is the idea of your, your product, whatever it is that you have produced. He's saying, send it out in maritime trade, put it on the ships and send it out to see if you can get a return on your work. 
So he's given some practical advice. Put your bread out on the waters. And he says, do it in seven or eight directions because you don't know where pirates or storms reside. Some of those ships may not make it back. Some of the stuff that you've worked really hard at may not pan out, but he's saying, you still need to put it out on the water. Risk, be engaged. It's interesting in this, this first set of verses, in verse three, he says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north and the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He's basically saying there, there are a few things in life that are predictable. It's really cloudy and the clouds are full, it's gonna rain. And if the tree falls, it's gonna lay right there. It's not gonna stand back up. He's like, there's some things that you can bank on. The laws of physics, they're working. But it's interesting that he gives us this verse in verse three, and it's almost as if it's like swallowed by all the unpredictable realities. So verse three, just a couple of simple predictable things. But in verse two, he had just finished by saying, you don't know what disaster is coming on the earth. In verse four, he says, he who observes the wind won't sow, and he who regards the clouds won't reap. The farmer that's always checking the wind and going, I don't know, is today the right day to sow the seed or not? I'm not sure if all of everything has lined up just perfectly. He says, if you're always trying to manage all of the variables, you'll never get started. And then he goes on to say, as you do not know the way the spirit comes together in the bones of a woman, or pardon me, to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you don't know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you don't know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. And there's so much that we don't know. That final statement, what he's saying is, sow in the morning, put your seed in the ground, but he says, don't withhold your hand at night. Go find yourself a side hustle at night, because you don't know which is gonna pan out. What he's saying is, work. He's saying, in essence, God is not into inside trading. He's not like an inside trader that gives us the secret advice, like if you really pray and you're pious, you'll only ever have to do the work that pans out perfectly. I prayed and I waited and God opened the door perfectly at the right time and everything I ever touched flourished. He's going, that's not the way the world works. God's not an inside trader. The sovereignty of God doesn't invite us to lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. You follow me? that oftentimes we think we're so overly pious, thinking, well, I'm just gonna wait and pray and wait for God to show up. And there we are leaning on our shovel, just begging God, would you please produce a hole in the ground? And the Kohelet's going, pick up your shovel, risk, get to work, put your bread on the water, sow in the morning, and then at night, get a side hustle going. He's saying, if you're going to be young and do it well, you're gonna risk. You're not always going to be hedging your bets and then hiding behind really religious language. And so my question to you is this, if you're honest, would you just be honest with me for a second? Where are you dreaming of something? And it could be in any realm. I'm not talking like in an overly sacred, secular divide. I mean something that's in you, something you're dreaming of. It might be a new business, a new venture, a new opportunity. It may be a way to bless someone or connect with someone. Something that you're dreaming of but you feel like you're, you're standing paralyzed by all the unknowns, leaning on a shovel and begging God to produce a hole. Where in your life do you have a dream that you're longing for, but you're paralyzed by all the variables you can't control? If we're going to be good at being young, the Kohelet says, if we're not gonna end up someday in an assisted living home going, oh, all the things I should have done when I was young and vigorous and had energy and dreams, if we're going to be good at being young, we're gonna risk. 
You're young. You've got youth and vigor and energy. Go get it. You want to start a new business? Start it at nighttime. Start dreaming with a friend. Get it going. You want to disciple someone and you think, I don't know how. I've never even thought about that, but I've heard about it around here. I've been challenged. I don't even know where to start. Start by inviting someone into a relationship. Ask for some coaching. Jump in. Like you're... Your youth is a gift. This day is a gift. Time is moving really quickly. It's slipping through your fingers as you speak. It's your most precious commodity. It's your time and it's going by quickly. Do not play it safe. I've been praying for Seven Mile Road. God, please prevent us from missing the moments where you're inviting us to step out in faith, to risk to be used in new and fresh and full ways. I'm reminded of my friend, Caroline Cobb. Caroline Cobb is a dear friend of Ashley and, I, and mine. We, we got to spend a couple of t- years in Boston with she and her husband. She's a mother of three kids. Her husband is an executive pastor at a growing church. They have a very busy life, but she has songs in her heart. Like she is a gifted songwriter and she can't stop it. And it was like a dream that for a while she goes, where does this fit? And she started, she said, okay, I'm just gonna start. When the kids nap, I'm gonna write. And so she gets a little bit of silence in the midst of a crazy life as a mom of three. And she started writing songs. And over the last several years, she has personally written and crowdsourced and produced three albums that are making a real impact in the body of Christ across the nation. That are start, songs that are starting to be sung at global gatherings of Christians from all different backgrounds. And I watch a woman that decided, I'm not just gonna stand on my shovel and shrug and go, yeah, I don't know. Someday when God, when the winds are just right, maybe I'll put this seed in the ground. And as I was thinking about the collective potential in this room, the ways that God has gifted each of you, the men and women in this room with gifts and dreams and passions, and you've got the energy and the vigor and the community to go after it, please, 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 don't end up someday thinking, if only, I should have, I should have stepped out. We wanna be the sort of people that are good at being young. Uh, I'll say this too, one final note before we move on as we think about risk. The final note about bread upon the waters is that for, for, for centuries, that phrase has been read by the church as having a mark of generosity as well. That it was believed in the Hebrew mind that putting the bread upon the waters was like giving towards God's mission. And so I think part of the invitation to risk is also the, the invitation to live with open hands. I had just a really sweet meeting with, with a young man in this community that was doing his individual discipleship plan, which is one of the, the it is the final step of how you join the mission of Seven Mile Road. You, you articulate with a mentor and an elder what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples in your own setting, in your own life. And one of the things that came up in his IDP is that he wasn't giving. He wasn't giving to Seven Mile Road and he was giving to some things with a generous heart to, to places uh, along the lines, but going, I feel like God's maybe prodding me to give more fully to the mission. As we got to talk and pray about that, it was this reality of, it feels like our hands are being opened up. It feels risky, but there's this beautiful reality that is baked throughout the whole of the scriptures that when we trust God enough to say, my hands, my heart, my life are open to you and to your purposes that in a sense he's going, try me. Try me with your finances. Try me with your energy, with your time, with your thoughts, because the truth is, 
One of the ways that you will make the greatest return on being young is to live wide open to what God has for you. Brothers and sisters, risk, (laughs) risk. Let's step out and be a part of what God is doing. The second thing that we must do if we're gonna be good at being young, we don't just step out and risk, but we rejoice. And the interesting thing in verses seven to 10, I wanna prove this to you. We're commanded throughout the scriptures to rejoice, to choose joy. We could read a lot of passages that tell us to rejoice. There's something unique about this one. This isn't just be a person of joy in general. Specifically in this text, we are commanded to to take joy in our youth. That's the command here, which is a very unexpected, an unusual command. I wanna see if we can make sense of this together. Look back with, with me at verses seven through 10. Light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many and all that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Do you hear it? Specifically, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. He's saying we should rejoice in our youth. We should be cheered in our youth. He says what your eyes see and your heart long for, go and enjoy while remembering that God's going to judge all of these things. So this is in a sense, you know, one of the most common pieces of you know, current cultural wisdom is follow your heart, which incidentally is, is dangerous, if not just bad advice, when there's no context given to it. Because our heart is deceptive, it's wicked, it's twisted. We will choose things that are selfish, we will always choose ourselves. The interesting thing here is that the Kohelet has immersed us into the wisdom of God. We're in chapter 11 on this journey and he's going, we've begun to understand the way that Hevel influences the world and that pleasure can't satisfy and your money's not gonna make it all worthwhile and work is not gonna summarize. He's invited us to fear and know God and to love the people closest to us. And in that context, what he's saying is, as you learn to live wisely, listen, in that context, what do your eyes see and your heart long for? Go enjoy it. Remember that God's going to judge you, but don't miss that there's great joy to be had in your youthful vigor. In essence, he's saying you're you're strong and you've got freedom and you've got flexibility and these things are a gift. So what do you wanna do to enjoy these things? This sort of youth and vigor, it's a sliding scale, right? So let's just own this in this room. Some of us are younger than others in the room, but we all have youth to steward. My boys, when I sit down to talk to them about something serious or we're trying to work through something, my nine and seven-year-old cannot sit still. They crawl, they'll be looking at me upside down, they crawl on their bed, their leg starts going like this, and then they, I'm like, what are you doing? Nothing, I'm listening, Dad, I'm with you. And I'm like, there is so much youthful vigor in their bones. Their experience of life is very different than mine. They have a different amount of youth to steward than I do. I wake up in the morning and I creak, and my back hurts, and there's days where I'm tempted to go, I just am kind of an old man, you know? And then I'll talk to my mom, and my mom goes, oh, honey, you are a babe. Like you, not like a a babe, you know, like a baby. (laughs) Like only a mom could say, right? (laughs) Oh, baby. Uh, Like you're just a little guy. Like, she's like, to be in your mid-30s. My mom's like, that's so young. 
Your whole life is in front of you. And I'm like, oh yeah, my back doesn't hurt that bad. I still got a little bit in me. But then my mom once a week bakes a pound cake and takes it to Miss Smith. Miss Smith is 103 years old. Miss Smith's eyesight, hearing has mostly gone. She cannot do her own grocery shopping. She can't drive a car, although she did up until two years ago, which is a whole nother story. Um, she was about 10 years past her prime on that whole endeavor, but my mom sits and slices a piece of pound cake and sits with Miss Smith and talks. And when she walks out of that meeting, she goes, I'm young. My mom's in her mid seventies and she goes, I've got life to live. I can drive myself to Walmart and I can walk my own aisles. I can do this thing. And all of a sudden there's this reality that it is a sliding scale what sort of youth, vigor, freedom, flexibility, opportunity has been entrusted to you by God? It's a gift to steward. And what he's saying is in the midst of it, there better be joy. Don't miss the joy in it all. What do your eyes see and your heart long for? Go do it. Sometimes we're so much more pious than God, says Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Religious people, Christians who love the Bible and want to submit to Jesus can be the worst about this. We can be so bound up and think, well, I don't know if I'm supposed to do that, if I'm really supposed to enjoy that sort of thing. I don't know. Do you want to do it? Is it sinful? Well, no. You want to do it? Yeah. Great. Go enjoy that thing. You know, there's all, there's all sorts of things like this that I think the Kohelet that our friends sitting in an assisted living room at home would say, don't miss it. You want to visit all 50 states? Make a plan. Load up with some friends. Start driving. Go visit the places you haven't seen. You want to skydive? I don't know why you would, but you want to? Go jump out of a plane. You can do that. You realize that the, the Kohelet in a sense is going, life is shot through with beauty and opportunity, and that's not an accident. God is a creator of beauty and color. He didn't have to make the world like this for us to explore and enjoy with flavors and colors and experiences. He's going, do you want to go do it? Go do that. Don't waste your youth being so bound up and going, well, I don't know if I... I think sometimes we are more pious than God himself. I got invited this summer to take my two older boys uh, in June to take them to the Grand Canyon on an ATV tour. And when I got invited, I immediately started thinking about all the reasons that was not a good idea. I was like, I don't know, like four days away and... I have to turn in my smartphone on the first day. I'm not gonna be able to check in with Ashley. I know she's gonna be worried and I don't know about safety and all that. And then I was like, what am I doing? I could drive an ATV across the Grand Canyon with my sons. I'm going to do that. I was like, I can't wait. June 4th, I'm getting on a plane with my two boys. We're gonna go do that. And there was part of me that I was kind of shrouding it in Christian language, being more pious than God, talking myself out of real opportunities to be alive. And I think we need to be careful. We need to be careful to say uh, we can in some ways miss the beauties of our creator because of our, 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 our sense in which maybe he didn't want me to enjoy it this much. Like, it, he's designed you with a capacity for joy and he's inviting you into it. Now, once again, this is all within the context. He follows it up immediately going, remember, you're gonna be judged for this. <laughs> so in essence, he's going, in your youth, I'm not inviting you to go be sinful and to disregard God. I'm saying with God in the midst, go drink it in. Be good at being young. Risk, rejoice in your youth. And then the last thing is this, remember. 
Remember your creator in these days. This is how he turns the corner in chapter 12. He, re- he says in chapter 12, verse one, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, which incidentally sounds so cliche on the lips of a really religious person. But if we've been tracking like we have with the Kohelet to this point, that is the last, so far from being cliche. The Kohelet has so unabashedly plumbed the depths of the reality of living in a broken world and he's spoken it for what it is. This guy has tried everything. He has had more money and more women and more experiences and more, he's done it all and he gets to the end and he goes, please listen, don't waste your youth. Remember your creator while you're young. This is the wisdom of a man standing in orthopedic shoes at the end of his life going, I know something that I don't think you fully understand yet. You will never regret remembering your creator in the days of your youth, living like you might meet him tomorrow. He goes on to say, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. What is he talking about the evil days? He's talking about the days when death is knocking at the door. He's calling old age what it is. He says they're evil days. The pinnacle of the curse of sin is that we're going to die. And so as the decay has set into such a place where our bodies start coming apart, he's going, it doesn't mean that we can't find joy in that. And it doesn't mean that that life is not worth the living. And there's so much wisdom and beauty in an assisted living home. I encourage all of you to go start having a meal there monthly. It's so good for my soul. And there's so much dignity and value in the men and women that live there. But what I am saying is what they are confronting each day as their bodies are giving way, it's the curse pressing in. It's evil and it's broken. He's going, someday this is gonna happen. In verse two, he says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. You hear what he's saying? This is actually the last mention of the sun in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's been mentioned 35 times. Life under the sun, under the sun. In chapter 11, did you hear what he said? It's pleasant to see the sun. And then the last time he mentions it, the sun will be darkened someday. Someday, the pleasantness of living under the sun, even though it's been hard. Life under the sun has not been easy in in Ecclesiastes. It's been hard. It's not easy to live in this world, but he's going, it's still pleasant to let the sun shine on your face. He's going, someday that too is gonna run dark. He said, those days will be evil. He says, in that day, when the keepers of the house tremble. Now there's this interesting thing from verse three on, I just wanna sketch this out real briefly for us because this is going to help put everything in context. He starts to use this series of metaphors. He's talking about a dilapidated house, but he's also talking about our bodies. And he's painting a picture of what does it look like when youth is finally gone. And it's almost as he's inviting us to that sobering experience of going and sitting in the assisted living home. He's saying, just consider this. He's saying someday the keepers of the house will tremble. Many think that this is the hands, the idea of my strength out in front of me. And he says, they'll start to tremble with age. And he says, the strong ones, the strong men are bent. This is the idea of the shoulders, that as age sets in and you start walking more and more humped over, that the shoulders that used to be the bearers of the strength, the strong ones are now bent. The hands, they tremble. He says, the grinders cease because they are few. You don't have to be a poet to figure that one out, right? 
He's saying your teeth are gonna fall out. This is me going to visit R.E. Morris, my grandfather, and he loved to chase his grandkids around with his teeth in a jar, and he'd sit, and he'd run with just his gums, and we would scream and laugh and giggle. And at that point, you just kind of prefer a liquid diet, you know? And what he's saying is someday your teeth are gonna fall out. Your hands are gonna tremble. Your shoulders are gonna stoop. He says those that look through the windows are dimmed. You're gonna have cataracts, and your eyes are gonna be blurry. The doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. The one rises up at the sound of a bird. He's not saying you don't hear very well. The idea is that the doors are shut, so you're starting to go deaf, yet small things can rouse you in the night. You wake up because a bird flutters. You can't sleep for anything. You think, man, I'm deaf and blind. Certainly I can sleep now, but still you're waking up at all hours of the night. He's going, these days are evil and they're coming. They're coming for all of us. He says, the daughters of song are brought low. Many think that this is a, a nod to you're just grouchy. Like every song, like just turn it down. I don't wanna hear it anymore. They are afraid of what's high and terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms, that means the, the top turns white. A little cropped white haircut. The grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. This is a nod towards impotence. That there's no more sexual urge. Everything has dried up. They're afraid, of, uh, pardon me, and he says, uh, and the mourners will go about in the streets. He says, before the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, one after another, an image of death, something precious, valuable, and functional that's breaking apart. It's death. The dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity to vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. You see, he's still in the business of just telling us the truth and what he's saying is, I know right now it feels hard and stressful. I get it. I know it's hard being a young parent or a student or you're trying to build your career or maybe even you're an empty nester and you feel like, what do we do now in this season? Whatever stage you're in, he's saying, you've got youth to steward and the day will come where things tremble and stoop and you feel like you don't have anything left and he's going, please, 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 don't miss it. Remember your creator right now. Remember him. Live today like you might see him tomorrow. And as you live in that space, you will begin to realize that I will meet those final moments with confidence and with joy. I won't live with a stack of regrets of all the relationships that I let sour on my watch, all of the missed opportunities, all of the joy missed, that we will meet those days when our hands tremble and our shoulders stoop with confidence and joy because we remembered our creator. We lived for what mattered most. In essence, what he's saying is we didn't live for all the fog banks that invited us to give, us, that give our attention to them, but we lived for the creator behind the fog and we made an impact. And the final note is this. Every one of us is so forgetful, are we not? The reason that I don't live in risk, but I always live like clinching, conservative. The reason I don't live in joy, but I try to damp it all back down and put my religious language on it is because ultimately I'm just forgetful. I'm forgetful of who my creator is and what he's done. But the beauty is this, that even as we are charged to remember the creator, the beauty is this, he remembers us. He remembers you. I'm reminded of the, the older couple where the husband is dealing with Alzheimer's. 
And he said to his wife in great sadness and frustration, I don't even remember who I am. And she looked at him and she said, but I do, and I know what you need. You you see, in this journey, there's so many times where we live life and we just forget our creator, but the beauty is that Jesus looks back at us and he says, I know who you are, and I know what you need. And even on the days where you are forgetful, and you're overly conservative, and you're dour, missing the moments of joy and life and vitality, what he's saying is, I remember you. I've graven you on my hands. It says in the scripture that a nursing mother might forget her child, but your God in heaven will never forget you. What he means is even more tender and caring than the mother who is still nursing her baby, which certainly her mind is on that child all the day long. He's saying the love of your father is even greater towards you than that mother. Jesus has said he will remember us in paradise. You will be with him. One day he will remake your body whole and perfect forever. That Jesus, when he was bleeding and dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they were doing because he remembered you in your weakness and your sin. And so the invitation is to know that the love of God in the face of Jesus has remembered you called you to heart and held you close. And it's as you remember him remembering you that you will be able to risk. You don't have to play it safe. And you will be able to rejoice at all the beauties and the freedom of this world because you know he's holding you. You don't have to muster it together with all of your religious fervor. He's holding you. And as you remember him remembering you, you will be free to be the sort of people that are good at being young. Amen? Let me pray for us. So God, we love you and we thank you. I am so forgetful. We are a people that are forgetful. And the ways that we play it safe and we oftentimes walk through life in drudgery rather than joy is evidence that we're forgetting the great, the great waterfall of grace in Jesus that we are situated under. And I pray that even now you would revive our hearts, that we would receive the good news in Jesus. And I pray that if there's anyone, even now, if you can hear my voice and if you have yet to trust Jesus, even now would you consider that your life is short and one day you will meet your creator? Would you remember the sacrifice of Jesus and receive his love as he remembers you? Turn your heart to him, trust him today. God, I pray that all of us would trust you with the whole of who we are and that we would steward our youth in a way that brings you glory and brings us joy. Amen and amen.